Okay, so uh, the rest of us are going to continue our look uh, at the book of Numbers. Uh, last week we saw the talking donkey uh, that was actually protecting uh, this false prophet Balaam uh, on his way to uh, uh, apparently uh, curse uh, the people of God for uh, this uh, king of Moab, Balak. And so we're picking up the story today where uh, Balaam has finally arrived and uh, is going to be called upon to do what it was he was hired to do. So let me begin reading uh, Numbers chapter 22, verses 41, all the way through chapter 23, verse 26. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And in the morning, Balak took Balaam and brought him up to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he saw a fraction of the people. And that the people, that's the, the people of God. They're up on hills looking down into the valley, and that's where all of Israel is. And Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam said. And Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I'll go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I have arranged the seven altars and I've offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus shall you speak. And he returned to him and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, from Aram, Balak has brought me the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me and come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags, I see him. From the hills, I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you've done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? And Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only a fraction of them and shall not see them all. Then curse them for me there. So, And he took, them, took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And Balaam said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and thus shall you speak. And he came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? And Balaam took up his discourse and said, rise Balak and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie. Or a son of man, that he should change his mind? Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people, 
As a lioness, it rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord says that I must do? So, uh, you can go ahead and put my notes up there, Becky. So, uh, what a story of frustration, you know? Really, really. I mean, think about it. Uh, uh, Balak sends for Balaam, and the first time he sends for him, he says he can't come. And then he sends for him again, and then he says he'll come. And then he gets there, and you have this sense of anticipation. They build these altars, and they, they kill these rams and these bulls, and everybody's standing there waiting for Balaam to, to curse Israel. And then he just says this great thing about him, and they're like, oh, no, okay, well, let's do it again. And they, they do the offerings again and they move to a different place and they're like, okay, finally, he's going to do what we paid him to do. And he doesn't. And so it's such a great thing to, to read here uh, uh, at the end, right? So do not curse them at all. Do not bless them at all. In other words, okay, you know, let's, let's renegotiate our contract. Let's maybe, maybe if you want, and it just ends in frustration, right? Um, Recently, I uh, one of the things I've noticed, uh, I have I have a uh, I got a new phone last year, and um, uh, there's all sorts of things on this phone that uh, that I'm I don't really understand, but it knows I don't know how it knows, but it knows when I go to a restaurant, and the reason why I know that is because when I come out of the restaurant. I'll look at my phone to see if there are any messages, and it'll say, how was your experience at such and such a restaurant? And, uh, you know, I'm like, help us tell other people about how great or whatever this particular restaurant is. And so I'm like, okay, I'll be helpful. I'm always willing to help. Maybe I'll get a coupon for a free burger or something, you know, so I'll, I'll go ahead and do this. But once I did that and I gave the restaurant a bad review because they deserved it. Well, the restaurant contacted me. (laughs) They're like, wait, you know, what happened? And I'm like, well, it wasn't very good. And uh, they're like, well, we'll give you some free meals. And I'm like, no, you misunderstood. I said it wasn't very good. You know, I mean, the only thing that makes free no good better than paying no good is money. It's still no good, right? So um, so th- there's this, uh, it, 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 as you look at this, if I was Balak, I would be writing up a pretty bad review of Balaam because at every place and at every time, Balak pays him to do something and it doesn't work out. I mean, this is this is the definition of frustration. Now, now, one of the things that we should take pride in and one of the things that, that should make us happy is that God is in the business of frustrating the enemies of his people. And that is great news, you know. I, I think, and, and one of the things that we should see about this is, is that uh, the, the great and the powerful, the, the dynamic uh, forces that are at work here may think that they can purchase or through their power and their wealth, affect the people of God, but God continues to frustrate them. And God will only allow what he has said and what he has determined to happen and be true to his people.
So this, this is a, this is a great thing. I mean, there, there's a, so much frustration in this text. And one, one of the things that you have to see is there's no future in frustration. And so, so these, Balak is, is having to come to the end of himself. He had this plan. He thought he would bring in this weapon of mass destruction. He's paid good money for it. He's done all this work and none of it's worked out. And so there they are up on the mountains looking down at the people of God. Balak says, Balaam, say these things and it's going to, you know, suddenly the people of God will be cursed, right? So when you look at this text and you see this kind of crazy uh, interaction that happens here, what you can do is you can take the oracle of God there, uh, uh, the things that, that God says to Balaam, and, the, and divide it into two categories. The first one, he speaks about the people of God. And then in the second oracle, he speaks about uh, the God of the people. Now, this is important for us to see because these two oracles that are given here, these two things that Balaam uh, say, uh, 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 that God says to Balaam and then Balaam speaks over the people, are things that are really important. In fact, probably the most important things we could uh, think about. The nature of God and the nature of his people. And in fact, it's not just the nature of God and the nature of his people, but because of the nature of God, what is true then about the nature of his people. So, so this, that's pretty important for us to, to, to look at and to, uh, and to think about this. Now, the first one is, let's look at what he says here about the, the nature of the people. He says, come curse Jacob for me and come and denounce Israel. And, and Balaam says, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see and from the hills I behold and behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. So, so the thing that you have to see about this is, is this people that spread out down there in the, in the valley is unique and beautiful and wonderful. Let me say that again. This people that spread out down there in the valley is unique and beautiful and wonderful, just like you. Right? Now, if you've been here at all over the last few weeks and months, one of the things that you know about these people that are camping down there in the valley who are blissfully unaware of what's happening here are not beautiful, are not faithful. In fact, what's true of them? Oh, gee, where's the water? Oh, gee, where's the food? It's hot out here. You know, slavery was better than this. Oh, and yeah, there's snakes, right? So remember all of those things? Remember all of those terrible things that, 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 that the people said, God, you brought us out here to kill us. We'd be better off in Egypt. God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to see you through to the land. No, 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 no. We can't do that. We know better, right? That's the people that we're talking about. That's, that's, those are the people that God says, those are my people. Look at them. They're unique. They're special, right? They, you know, the, so, so the, as we look at this and as we see the fact that God said, identifies himself with these people, he says, they belong to me. I see them. I will bless them. What we have to see about that is, is that the blessing that God has for them is the determination that he has tied himself to them, that he has committed himself to them, has has almost nothing to do with who these people are. Their behavior is faithless while he's faithful. Their behavior is is complaining and uh, being uh, just just difficult, right? 
And so it's not like God could say, you know what? Look down there, those people in the, in the valley, they're awesome. They're just awesome. Their record is stellar. I give them a, a, a five-star review, right? So, so as you, as you think about this, you know, if God were to show off his family, were to show off his, his children, what, what would that be like, right? Uh, I'm glad parenting has, has changed a lot because when I was a kid and we would have out of town family come, my parents would make us perform in front of the family. You know, play the piano, Steve, for aunt so-and-so. It is miserable. Just miserable. It's just terrible, you know. And, and I, I, I never could figure out, I, I always felt punished when I was doing that. I'm sure my aunts and uncles felt punished, but I, I, I felt, I felt punished when I was, when I was doing this, you know, like, what you, it's not bad enough that you make me play the piano and make me take lessons, but it's even worse that you make me have to play in front of my aunts and uncles. And, uh, it was always, uh, it was always really challenging. And one time I just thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do a terrible job. That was a mistake. And so, uh, so it was, I'm glad, I'm glad we don't do that anymore. So I, I've pondered that over the years. Like, I wonder why my mom and dad made me do that. And I, and I think I've come to the conclusion of, you know, well, they don't, they don't smell very good and they don't behave very well, but they can play the piano, right? So that was, that was kind of, maybe that was kind of the, the, the thing that they were trying to show that we were actually civilized. So, so I wonder if, 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 if somebody were to come up to God and say, Hey, God, how about these people? How about that crew of folks down there? What would he say? Well, he'd say they're mine. They're blessed. They belong to me. Right? Next slide, please, Becky. You see, the the uniqueness and the power of the people of God resides not in themselves, but in the God who loves them and is for them. Don't ever forget that. That one sentence right there will keep you from thinking too highly or too less of yourself. Because the uniqueness and the power that you have as a person who belongs to Jesus Christ resides, resides not in yourself, but in the God who loves you and is for you. That'll, that'll keep you from thinking too highly of yourself and thinking that somehow or other you earn or deserve or, or you've worked your way up into a place where, where God is for you. And it'll prevent you from thinking too lowly of yourself because no matter what else may be true about you, you can say this, there is a God who knows me, who loves me, who sees me, who is for me, and who frustrates my enemies, even in the midst of my own difficulties and faithlessness, and in this story, cluelessness, because they have no idea what's going on in the mountains above them. You see, this God sees his people, and these words about that he, that he sees them, that, uh, that this is something that is profound for us. You know, that, that, that this God sees his people, he's aware of them, and, and they belong to him. And no matter what the power, no matter what the thing is that it's arrayed against them or, or, or arrayed in them against this God, God in his determination is not going to let them go and we'll see it through and, and we'll bless them, right? 
So the irony in all of this is, is who these people are. They're, they're unique because their God is unique, right? And that's why his words matter so much. That's why what he says about them matters so much. And it is so compelling to Balaam that what he says here is their God is so great. What does he end up saying? Let me die the death of the upright. Let me be like them. He's being paid to curse them, but he sees this God who is for them and he sees this God's determination to bless them. And in the end, he says, well, you know what? I'd like my destiny to be the same as theirs. Right. And he says that even to to the face of this king who's paid him off. Right. It's a pretty powerful uh, thing. So this God who says these things to us, who says these things about us, uh, says them because and, and, and we entrust ourselves to them because of his character. You see, that's that's what's so profound about this is. Right. Look at what he says. Um, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his his mind. Has he said and will he not do it or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You see, what Balak thinks is, is that God, this God here, the Lord, is like his gods. And his gods are like him. They can be manipulated. They can be bought off. They can be challenged in a way. And if you do the right things and you have the right kind of formula here, you can reach up and make this God do for you what it is you want him to do. If you kill enough bulls, you kill enough rams, you do those things so that somehow or other you can wrest this blessing from him and he'll do these things for you. Now, now here's here's the thing. This God's not like that. He is determined to bless these people. He told their father Abraham that he would bless them and that he would multiply them and that he would see them into the land. So none of these things are going to keep that from happening because God has said it. Because God, once he determines to do and to be a certain thing to us, nothing, 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 nothing will change that. Now, now here's the thing that's profound about that. These people are blessed. It's repeated a number of times in these texts. These, how can you curse these people? Because they're blessed. Now, here's the thing that's profound about that for us. You are blessed if you're in Christ. You are. But if I were to ask you, just if I were to ask these people, do you feel blessed today? What would you say? What would you say? If he goes, to, if, if we if we were to, to conduct a poll to the campers down there in the valley, hey, campers, do you feel blessed today? Why well, no? I got to scrape this manna up again. Got to live in this tent. Got to do what this God tells me to do. Got to get up and do it again. I don't feel blessed. Oh, yeah, there's there's this vague notion of this God who who delivered us. But do I feel blessed? And really, frankly, you know, whether what whether I am blessed or not, doesn't matter as much as whether I feel blessed. Right, because I'll take that. But you see what what happens to us in the in in. In the middle of this, as we as we think about these things, as we kind of unpack this, 
this seems like some kind of this whole story and this whole idea that the blessing of God resides upon the people of God and that if God has said that he will bless us, if God has said that he is for us, if he has said that he sees us and, and he even demonstrates that in time and space by, by, by delivering his people here and by coming to us in Jesus Christ, living our life, dying our death, rising again for us. If, if those things are true, then, then how come it doesn't kind of reorient, uh, the way I think about this God and the way I think about the way in which he interacts with me. Because you see, the, the, the fact of the matter is, the way we tend to think about it is, is blessing should mean ease. Blessing should mean my glory, not the glory of the one who blesses me, Right? But you see, that's the difference between this God and the gods that Balak worships. This God cannot be manipulated. He is determined to bless his people. And his determination to bless his people is not even determined by his people's definition of what blessing is. Because he loves us so well and knows us so well, he does what's necessary for us. And so as I thought about this text today, and I thought about the people that would be sitting under the hearing of this this message today, I thought, you know what? What do you need to hear? What do you need to hear? What do I need to hear from this God who is unique, who says he's not like a man who is determined to bless us? And this is what I landed on. Next slide, Becky. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I know that many of us think there is much against us. And you know what? There is much against us. Just as there was much against these people. Just as there was much it, 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 that was arrayed against them to prevent the purpose of God. But what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who is who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Now, now what's profound about this is, is that when we read this text, what you have to see about the blessing of God in this is the blessing of God is not to suddenly transport you uh, in this world to a place where there is no longer any tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. The blessing of God is not some kind of insurance policy that that sees to it that your life is just one life of of uh, continued market growth and uh, uh, health and wealth and those sorts of things. No, that's not it at all. The blessing of God is so much deeper and so much more profound than that. And it is it is most clearly demonstrated to us and the love that God has for people like us, faithless people like us. In his determination to be faithful no matter what. As it is written. 
For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Conquerors, right? Kind of sounds like this description of the lion and the lioness at, at the end of this text. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what you have to see about this is, and what is profound about this is, is that, that Paul, as he's writing this, understands how we are and understands what's true of us. He gives two lists of things that we might see and that we might believe are bigger than the love of God, that are more profound than what God has done for us in Christ. And so what he does in the midst of this is he says, let me, let me make this list as comprehensive as I can. There are a lot of things that you believe that will separate you from the love of God in Christ, but none of them can. They're all frustrated. Frustrated. Because this God has tied himself to us and said, I will bless because they're blessed. And my character is at stake in blessing my people. Now, the, the, what is so hard for us in this and what's, what's so challenging for us in this is just like these people here, uh, we're camping. And I am consumed with the responsibilities of camping. And I am consumed in, in the daily responsibilities of, of camping without fully understanding and seeing the fact that my identity has been changed Because this God who identifies with me has changed it. I am blessed. Um, I was thinking this week of an old uh, member of this church. That's one of the things as we approach the 25th anniversary. uh, And I think about different times and places in the church. These things, it's like a, a movie screen flashes in front of me and I see people and I remember things. And, um, I was thinking this week of uh, uh, my friend Kevin Mohan. And those of you who remember the Mohans, you know, you got to laugh. They're, what, what a great family. Well, universally, I would say, Kevin, how you doing today? And, and Kevin had some struggles. And he would say, Pastor, I am redeemed. <laughs> I am redeemed. I am redeemed. He was redeemed because he had a redeemer in Jesus Christ. There has been a lot that's happened to our family uh, in the last couple of years to tempt us to think that there are things that could separate us from the love of God. And frankly, you know, death and miscarriage and difficulty and strains and stresses, those things bring into stark uh, focus for us the necessity of a God who has tied himself to us and who is unchanging in his determination to bless us and to see us through.
And you see, this is the thing that makes this so profound and so challenging for us is God's determination to bless a people like us is not dependent upon our hold on him. It is dependent upon his hold on us. And what makes this even more profound is how crazy it is that this God's hold on us, this faithful God, this promise-keeping God who never changes, because of his hold on us, changes us from faithless people to people that look more and more like him. It's, it's the craziest thing ever. Because, and he does it even in the midst and the face of death, persecution, and difficulty, and all of those things, right? This God loves us so much that he will never leave us, nor forsake us, and he will see us through to the end. And even in the midst of that, he might even give us glimpses here and there of his frustration uh, of the, the plots and the plans of our enemies,